the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now, I present to you the one, the only, Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. All right, welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results. I am pumped up to welcome the one and only Michelle Lewis, and I'm going to put her name so you can see her as well, aka Visibility Vixen. And for those who don't know who this guest is today, Michelle Lewis is a color psychology and brand messaging expert who helps entrepreneurs find the uniqueness of their messaging, create strong brand videos, and craft powerful pitches to land features. She's the founder of Visibility Vixen, a leading authority in color psychology, brand positioning, and publicity strategy. And she's helped thousands of entrepreneurs land their dream features and impact their ever-expanding audience with her techniques. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Michelle, tell us what's one of the biggest things that you're most proud of as a business owner or someone who wins that life. <laughs> hey, Andrew, thanks for having me on the show. I would have to say... The biggest accomplishments that come to mind are definitely booking the TEDx stage. I did that twice and that was huge. That's like one of those goals that you have on your vision board. And so being able to do that and be there and get on stage and do that in person was probably one of the highlights of my career. That is awesome. And which TEDx was that? Uh, I did one in Vegas and I did another one in Terrytown, New York. Oh my gosh, double whammy. That is awesome. <laughs> and was it both on the same topic or subject or different ones? Uh, it was, uh, both of them were about color psychology, but they were a little bit different. Okay, I love it. Well, we're definitely going to dive into that later. But for now, um, the audience wants to know, tell us about the journey of how the heck you got from I'm going to become a, or I don't know what I'm doing. To, I'm a full-time business owner, entrepreneur, giving TEDx talks around the country, uh, living wherever, working whenever. Tell us about that journey. I think a lot of people think you just sneeze and it happens. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's a painful, like grinding process. For me, I was working in film and television on different TV shows. And uh, I wanted to get out of being a stand-in. I wanted to work more in the writing and producing realm. And so I had written a pilot and we had actually gotten a crew and a cast together. We recorded it. We were taking it to different studios and it happens every day. So let me preface by saying that, but it's not right. Uh, we had a studio that took the idea, took the title, tweaked it just enough to make it legal that was so frustrating because that was something that I had made that I had built. And it was something I could not afford to defend against a major studio. And so I looked at that and I thought, I can't do this anymore. I'd watch it happen to my dad over and over in his career as well in film. And so I quit and I decided I wanted to make something that was mine. That led to me creating my first course. And I loved that creative process and things just snowballed from there. But for me, it really started from wanting to be able to create things that would stay mine. And tell us more about... Um... So you're tired of being, quote unquote, screwed over in the industry. You're like, I'm going to create this course. Did that course make you a multi-thousand there overnight? You're like, okay, no more. Uh, no. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. I think it takes a long time to get your sea legs in this business. And I don't think you're ever like set in your product suite, right? It's always morphing and changing. For me, I started getting a couple of customers after I implemented color psychology in my branding, which we'll talk about in a bit. And so I had created all these little mini courses like Video University and um, Facebook Live Fast Track and these different things. And that led me to then creating my first membership, uh, which is now called the Visibility Lounge, which then led to this and that and this and that. So it took me a long time to finesse what my strengths were in the online business world, figuring out how to build an audience, figuring out how to get that recurring revenue, like all of that definitely took time. Uh, but for me, once I started getting that clarity and especially 
figuring out that like I have more of a like leadership style. People aren't going to buy from me because of my personality. I'm not that like outgoing person that's like, oh my God, I just found this new smoothie and people have to watch all those stories, right? That's not my visibility style. Mine is, hey, these are the tools that I use in order to build this. Do you need clarity with that to do the same? And that's my strength. And so once I figured that out, that's when a lot of stuff started coming into focus and when those sales became a lot more regular. Did you read like a book that helped you have the epiphany of how you could brand yourself? Did you hire a coach? Like, how did you go about saying, I'm going to create a course and then it's going to make money. Oh, wait, that didn't work. Now I'm going to try something else. Oh, wait, I got to keep trying. Like, t- tell us more about, about that. I don't know if you guys have dealt with this either in the start of your journey or halfway through or wherever you're at, but it seems like you do all of this online research to try to find the answers to these questions and you kind of just become a cog in this machine of the same repetitive process that everyone goes through. And so after analyzing that and going, well, that didn't work, I thought, I really need to think of something different to do. And what can I do that's a product of my experience? So I sat down and I thought, well, if it's not my offers, if it's not my messaging, then it has to be my visuals. And maybe my visual presence just doesn't have something unique enough to make people feel really attracted when they first see me. So that's when I went back to the film degree studied a little bit of color and film. Then I got an interior design degree. So I studied color and design. And then I was actually studying natural medicine at the time. So I studied color with that. It was just all these things. So I sat down and I went of all the different meanings and all these different realms that are attached to each primary color. So I did. That's how I decided on blue. I did a total rebrand, new photo shoot, all this stuff. And yet My audience grew, my sales grew, my PR bookings grew. I was able to book pretty much anything. Like just as a gag, I would pitch to these incredible things and be like, that's never going to happen. And it would. So that was what was so interesting. That was a little bit different about my journey is that I really dove into the color psychology in early. So in like 2017 and found that that worked and started teaching that process to my students. So you're telling us you had the same process, same pitch, same brand. All you did was add the color blue and all of a sudden everything exploded for you? In like the bare bones of it, yes. I did uh, have teal. That was my business color, my brand color. The color I wore was my favorite color. And once I adjusted it to a color that would specifically attract people who needed to feel a certain way in terms of struggling with their visibility, that's when I noticed a lot change. Interesting. That is cool. And you said you you got lucky with putting out blue in the first place or you did read like a, a book or a resource about color psychology? So I started with teal. That was my favorite color. That's what most people do is they choose the color they like the most in their branding. Mm -hmm. So then I went back to the drawing board. I chose blue specifically because after going through all the primary brand color meanings, the formula that I kind of invented, I went, well, I really want people when they come and see me for the first time, they're usually feeling really stuck and lack of motivation. They've tried all these different things and none of them have worked. So when they see me for the first time, be it on social media or like this interview, they're going to see blue and they're going to subconsciously feel motivation, trust, inspiration, and that will help support them in terms of realizing if I'm going to be the right teacher for them. So it's a really interesting way of looking at your visuals and looking at your branding, but the goal is learning to attract your ideal clients subconsciously using color. That is so cool. And are are there any exceptions to the rule that you know about? Like, uh, what are the worst colors to associate your brand with? I guess the first question. I think the best way to look at it is what are the colors that people actually have a physical, scientific reaction to? And those have to be colors inside of the visible light spectrum, right? And we know that because those colors come from the sun, they feed the plants, they boost our energy, etc. So looking at the colors in the primary light spectrum, the only one that I would say I think qualifies, even though it's technically not there, is a pink slash magenta, because that is proven scientifically, but colors like black, gray, brown. I mean, people might feel, especially with brown, like a little bit of maybe comfort, but they're not going to have like a physical reaction like they would to purple 
orange, yellow, green, blue. Uh, I said pink. And then what's the last one? I have my color ball over here. It's literally like a five-year-old's toy. <laughs> but I bought it because I find it to be so interesting. And it has all the colors except that pink magenta we were talking about in it. Um, so the colors I mentioned, those are ones that aren't going to have a response. Uh, and some people say, but I love black and I want it to be masculine. That's fine. Have that be a secondary color, but you mm -hmm. want to have your primary color in the visible light spectrum because then they're actually going to have emotional and physical reaction to it when they see you online for the first time. Gotcha. And, and tell us more about how do we know if it's the colors behind our branding that's causing our success or demise? And how do we know it's just our branding behind the colors that's causing the success or demise? <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I think the first thing you can do is really analyze your existing brand. Uh, the first thing I would look at is, did you put any intention into your branding? Nine times out of 10, people say no, because they don't know about color psychology. It's not their fault, right? They started their business and they either listened to their coach or they went on Pinterest and they said, okay, how can you make this most reflective of you, right? We're taught that our business is about us. When it's not, it's about our ideal client. If you want to get a taste of that, just read Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand. Our ideal client is the hero. So that's the first thing to look at. The second thing is, are you? do you have your offers together, your product suites there? You're doing the social media posting, but no traction is happening. No auto attraction is happening either. Things are just feeling stagnant and frustrating. That might be another indicator that maybe color can be something that helps you. Maybe it's that missing puzzle piece. The other thing I would look at is do you have all the pieces together for like ads, but the ad spend is crazy, crazy high and you know you have a good offer. You know that the messaging's on point. You know that it converts, but it's not working as quickly as you want. That probably is in the realm of color. And people that think that I'm crazy, I can break down Facebook or T-Mobile or McDonald's or Starbucks and prove that their success is more than half uh, the size of their nearest competitor because they've been so clear with their brand strategy. And a huge part of that has been color. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to think about like, when it comes to color, I think of like how the Apple logo, it used to be the rainbow Apple and now mm -hmm. just the silver Apple. So tell us about the psychology behind that. Did their sales skyrocket when that logo change happened? Uh, I'm curious about that. You know, I haven't done a ton of research on Apple, but what Apple did correctly is that they were the only tech company in the beginning that really advertised identity and being different. You look at some of the first Apple commercials and that's what it was all about, right? It was about achievement and individuality and really stepping out there with your uniqueness. And this was just a tool to make you incredibly unique and, I mean, in the commercials, successful. So I think they did that really well. I think, you know, them starting with more of the rainbow logo was probably what initiated some of the success. And then going into more of the silver, you know, you can, you can look into some of the stats on silver. I can't say that, oh my gosh, it tests so high as a color because it doesn't, but it does that Apple logo is so distinct. You know, it's probably one of the most recognized logos in the world, aside from Starbucks, which is the number one recognized logo in the world. So, or the McDonald's, Starbucks. Is oh McDonald's. yeah, Starbucks Whoa. is number one worldwide. Mm -hmm. Wow, and Apple's number two. Are you that's your guess? Yeah, that would be my guess, probably. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and so, more about uh, color psychology. Tell us about um, a, a favorite example uh, recently of a client you've helped that taken from A to B. Just saying, well, your offer is great and your um, your opportunity is great. You just have the wrong color. Like, you have any examples of clients you've helped? Well, I hear a great story. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have so many of them. One that's interesting is a friend of mine, She uh, she's doing really well. Her business is selling really well, but she was feeling really frustrated with her brand. She said something just doesn't feel right and I'm feeling frustrated and it's making me not want to engage as much. I'm feeling a little bit of visibility fatigue. And so we went in and we looked at her colors. We went through the formula. She chose the right colors. But I said, well, I don't know if you're in the autumn family, which is kind of uh, in the subject of tonal color harmony. And so uh, I took her through some questions. 
and we discovered she was in the spring palette, not the autumn palette. So she had the right colors, they just weren't in the right tone. So for me to bring that into basics, because you're probably saying, well, how do I know what tone my colors should be? The color choice is all about your ideal client. The tone or the shade of that color is about your personality. So since she had her designer, her person who did her branding, chose the autumn palette, but her personality was much more in the spring palette. So they had to adjust some of the colors, especially on the website, so that she would feel more integrated and excited about her branding and her business. And did it like double her business overnight? or what was It's doing the- really well. So, you know, you can't say it's 100% about color, but I think that it does give a huge energy boost and it makes her feel much more aligned and connected to her business. Yeah, that is a good point. That is cool. Um, and I also know, so you said you've been doing color psychology since 2017? Yes. But you've been a full-time entrepreneur since? 2016. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, But I also know, yeah, like you said, you have a book, you have membership funnels, you have online courses. What is the color psychology aspect of your business the most profitable? Is it just the most enjoyable? Because I know, like they say, the riches are in the niches. That's what I was trying to Mm say. So I had a chance to interview another um, guest earlier, and she says, I just work with people who are kind. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's like the opposite of a niche. But I'm curious how the niche of color psychology has has worked for your business. Sometimes, at least in my case, finding what's going to book you publicity can really help you crystallize what your niche should be in the online space. Obviously, when I started in 2016, visibility wasn't even really an industry word. It's one that I helped bring to the space because I called myself a visibility vixen. It was very strange back then. And I remember I got, you know, booked on a lot of things because people were like, so what is visibility? Well, now you're probably laughing in my face because visibility is such an overused word in the industry. So what I could pitch in 2016, I can't pitch now. So a couple of years ago, when I was encountering this issue, I thought, okay, if visibility isn't going to work, what is an aspect of visibility that I teach that's so different that might get people interested? And that's when I settled on color psychology. And that's what booked me thing after thing after thing after thing after thing, because people didn't know a lot about it. So that helped me. And I did teach it in my membership. But over time, I realized like, wow, this is such a huge topic that I recently, about three months ago, came out with my color course. And then after testing and figuring it out, I went, okay, it's really two different mini courses. It's the brand identity aspect. And then it's like the color palette building aspect. So I'm still pivoting. You know, people are loving it. And I'm so grateful for that. But all that to say, you know, offers pivot all the time. So now I'm moving back into like the multiple courses that I started with in 2016. And then I went more into memberships and group programs. And now I'm going back into more courses. So it's all a fluid process. I love that. And when you're helping people, uh, I guess, discover how to get into the coaching world or the course teaching world, um, you know, how, what are some of the ways that people, you have people define like their strengths or what they're most interested in? What, what if someone's like, Hey, Michelle, I just want to coach and I just want to teach others, but I don't know how to um, make money from it. Like how, how do you help guide people through the journey? Like you have them do market research first. You have to make a phone call to their friend, like, Hey, we pay me for this. Um, how would you guide someone through that journey? I think the first thing to understand is what is your visibility personality? What are your strengths? Because you could have the best offer in the world. For me, that's where I like to start with my students is, okay, let's figure out your strengths and weaknesses. Do you have, like we talked about earlier in this episode, more of a teaching style? Are you more, like, do you just very easily attract people? And so the sales process isn't going to be as challenging for them, but the funnels, the tools, the tech setup, like that's going to be a nightmare. So that's what we need to focus on to have it in place before they start talking online because they're going to sell really quick. Mm -hmm. If they're more of a production designer personality, that's my term, then they're more technically minded. They're good at the back end. They're good at the funnels. They're great at the setup. What they struggle with is showing up and getting online and going live and, you know, getting their posting schedule set up and all that. So really the strategy 
should start, at least it does in my teachings, with the personality so that we can work on your natural strengths, boost those, and then work a little bit on the weaknesses so that it's very easy once they decide to show up in the online space to correlate that to sales, whatever their offer may be. I love that. For those who don't know too, Michelle is also an expert at uh, getting clients on retainer. Clients want to keep coming back to her and paying her again and again. Can you speak a little bit to the, the quote unquote secret sauce? I and mean, obviously, for those who have met Michelle, she has an amazing personality. She's always off, over delivering, always offering to give back. Uh, what is something you're like, okay, yeah, I do know that. If you want to keep clients coming back to you, and you do want to keep them paying you consistently, here are some ways to make that happen as well. I think my frustration when I would hire people, the frustrating part is that sometimes I felt like I was buying the person's personality and not the delivering of the skill. That was really frustrating to me. So I always made sure that if someone's going to buy from me, whether it's my $27 podcast pitch kit or hiring me to be their publicist for thousands of dollars, that there was still a very high deliverability and that it was something that they could tangibly learn. Like if we're going to go into a VIP day, I'm not going to talk your ear off. I'm going to say, let's build the pitch. Let's start creating the media list. Like, let's do all this. Let's get your system set up so that you can outsource this to your team or deliver this yourself or whatever. Because for me, it's all about what is the takeaway? What are you going to learn based on being in my world for a little bit? Uh, but I really like to focus on that deliverability. And I also like to have multiple touch points where if you buy from me, you're, you know, being invited to the community, you're having follow-up emails, you know, just a lot of that so that you can feel nurtured. And then the other thing that I do is I encourage people, if they're really passionate about something they've taken from me to be an affiliate so that they can not only spread the word, word but make my products a part of their income stream. Deliverability over personality. I, I like that. Yep. <laughs> I like that. And do you have any other um, just curiosity programs, influencers in the space that you look up to for their ability to deliver, I should say? So few. Isn't that sad? Uh, one person that I like, she's not the same personality type as me, so I think this will be interesting. Uh, Katya Barbanova. I remember meeting her at an event in San Diego like four years ago before she'd come out with the viral content templates. And right after that, she started dipping her toes in that water. And I'd heard of her. I'd taken 20K Nation. I really liked her teaching style because she is like a you're going to learn from me kind of person. And it's been really fun watching her growth, getting into the template industry. She was one of the first ones for social media templates. And then seeing how she's totally restructured her business. So she's someone that I really like to watch because she's not afraid to make the sale. Uh, she does so few PR things because she just doesn't need to and it's not something she enjoys, but she works very heavily on affiliates. So she has the most affiliates that I've heard of. Um, and so she has a really interesting business that I've enjoyed studying. So I know whenever I buy from her, I'm going to learn something. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. That is a issue in the industry is, uh, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar coaching, personal, professional development industry, and yet people aren't getting where they want to go as fast as they should. It's just like, yeah, ah, <laughs> exactly. And so going back to results, let's shift over to the TEDx side of things. Um, sure. Tell us more about uh, that journey. If people are like, oh, I want to speak at TEDx, tell us about your journey, what you recommend and how to get involved with that. You know, I had no idea how to do TEDx. So it was so much research, figuring things out, crafting a unique pitch and learning that process. And it's really not that hard, which is why I came up with my Applause Academy program because it was like, oh, this isn't too bad. But I think the mistake is a lot of entrepreneurs, not everyone has speaking strengths and it is important to build those strengths before you get on the TEDx stage. Whenever you get on stage or you get on a film set and the camera starts rolling, everything goes out of your head, right? So if you haven't built those skills to handle being able to perform under stress, for example, if you're getting hives doing a live stream, we need to do a little work before we get you on the TEDx stage. Yeah. When I went on stage, we had other people that had anxiety, panic attacks, like sweating profusely, like about to pass out, like because they didn't have a lot of speaking experience. So it's important to be able to get those skills in place, repetition, 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 not memorization, those kinds of things. I remember a student of mine and she 
wanted to speak on leadership. Uh, so she wanted to speak on leadership. And uh, I said, okay, leadership is great, not specific enough. So I just had her go through and write out more and more specifically, what about leadership could she really speak on? What was the nut of that story that could be really, really different? After we did that for like a month, narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down to like your top three that are so crazy specific. Um, so like for me, I didn't talk about color psychology. I talked about because I knew for TEDx, this is people around the world that aren't necessarily business owners. How do I make this applicable to them too? So what I decided on was how the colors in your closet can change your life because their color choice every day isn't necessarily a visual presence, but they are going into their closet every day, right? Mm -hmm. So that really helps you differentiate your pitch so that someone's like, oh my gosh, we have to have this on the stage, right? This is truly an idea worth spreading. Does that kind of answer how to get involved in that a little bit? easier yeah so step one make sure you actually know how to speak on stage is important yes. <laughs> uh, step two know what you're going to talk about that's interestingly specific kind of thing because everyone talks about how to have a better life how to be a better leader how to be a better parent but how can you approach that in a unique way and then is step three does it take applying to a hundred TEDx's events to get one booking or how, what, how does that process look like? It really depends. But what you can do is on the TEDx website, they actually have like a map of the up upcoming talks. And so you can see the topics that are covering at each one. Obviously, if it's a tech specific one, so making sure that it's relevant. And then I probably sent out 20 pitches before I booked one. Oh. Uh, so it could be as easy as the first one you apply to or a hundred, it just kind of depends, but you do have to get into like a separate mental space of like, okay, for these three months, all I'm doing is applying. So once a week or twice a week, I'm sending in my applications, like getting all those due dates on your calendar. Like it does take being organized for sure in order to do that. And you might say, Hey, they have a TEDx uh, downtown every year. Fantastic. Then you can start, you know, applying to that one. But if you don't mind traveling, I think it's a better idea to apply to multiples just because, you know, see what your booking rate actually will be. Oh, yeah, because I heard, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, obviously you would know, is that if you do book out of town that they cover flight and travel to get there? Nope. <laughs> not that i've heard uh maybe certain ones especially like the actual ted that's in california each year that a location hosts a tedx talk their audience size and their budget from the company increases oh, the first time i did vegas right it was like 50 people and they didn't have like any of the fancy stuff well, Terrytown, I believe it was their third year. So they had like an audience of 250 and the fancy camera crew and like all that stuff. So that's something else to think about. You might have a better chance of landing something that's in its first year uh, if you're newer versus something that is in its fifth year running. Uh, but no, I didn't have any expenses covered. Most people, I think, especially that run TEDx events are assuming that people are local that are getting on stage but you know it would depend i mean maybe that's true for certain places wouldn't that be cool yeah uh so that's good to know is uh, probably doesn't make sense to book an international tedx talk if you're covering everything out of pocket so yeah, yeah exactly well and making sure like the first one that I did, they didn't have any recordings. So like I had applied along with, I don't know if you know Calvin Wayman, but we both had it as our New Year's resolution that we were going to do a TEDx talk. So we actually uh, did it kind of together, which was fun. And we yeah. both booked Las Vegas. And so we went and I assumed it was going to be recorded uh, and they didn't have a camera crew there. And so Calvin's sister was there with a the video camera. So I was like, oh my gosh, can you record mine? And like, I'll pay whatever. Camera. No, it was like a big fancy oh, uh, camera, okay. which was great, right? Because yeah. I didn't know I was going to book TEDx Terrytown. Those are things to think about too. If it, they don't have a budget for recording or doing professional photography, you might want to bring some people in to capture that moment so that you can use it. They don't even live stream it to YouTube or, or anything. It's not live stream to YouTube. They actually. If, you know, they have the budget, they send the camera crew, they record everything, they edit it together, and then that's what goes on YouTube. 
Interesting. Um, and what kind of quick public speaking tips do you have for people in general or clients that, so to help them make sure they don't have hives whenever they're on camera? <laughs> uh, practice. Live streams are great practice, especially because most people do not have a teleprompter for a live stream. Uh, when I first started live streaming, I would grab a post-it. I would write my title, my three talking points, and my call to action. And I would just post it like right here next to the camera. Yeah. And that helped me get more and more familiar with speaking off the cuff. And I think that that's something really important to do. And also getting up in front of people if you can. Join your local Toastmasters. Uh, do something like that where you're having to get up and speak impromptu just to deal with that fear. Because your body is going to start working with that adrenaline recognizing it and not panicking so that when you get up on stage, like you might draw a blank, that's okay, but you've done enough practice to go through your outline mentally and be able to recover. Biggest problem I saw is people tried to memorize their speeches and they had nowhere to go once the brain stopped, right? Like that's my worst nightmare, right? Not saying that you can't do that. That's like your safety net, Get familiar with practicing and working with that adrenaline and the things that do scare you so that when you are getting up on that stage, you're able to access the other side of your brain and still speak creatively and get that message across instead of freezing up. Yeah, I, I think I heard a Tim Ferriss episode one time say that one of the ways to simulate speaking in a big stage is to like practice like sprinting in place or doing a bunch of push-ups to get your heart running yeah. and then trying to speak to a mirror or to like a camera or something like that. So you get that, you get familiar with it, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, but you, but people still do uh, need cues at, on TEDx presentations. Like they still, Definitely. that's still a thing. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I saw it a lot uh, and they usually each, event will have a speaking coach to help you and that yeah. kind of stuff. But like for me, I wanted to be able to use my analytical brain when I got there for practice day, because that enabled me to be like, I don't know why I picked 10 slides, cut them all, just put the colors up on the screen, right? My talk is five minutes, like there's just no reason to have that distraction behind me. And that's going to make me want to be dependent on the slides, right? I remember being up on stage and sitting there because I was going next for practice and I got pretty lightheaded and I was like, oh boy, I was there by myself. I wasn't able to have anyone fly with me. I got food poisoning on the plane, just like everything that could go wrong went wrong. Whoa. And so it's like, okay, I can run. Like that's something I can do, but I'm going to miss this incredible opportunity. So I just dug my feet into the ground and I started looking at details, like focus on the window, how many panes are in the window, what are the colors, da, 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 bringing me into the present moment instead of letting all the distractions and insecurities and what someone said when I was seven, you know, come into my brain instead really focusing on the moment. And there was a guy there that was like shaking and sweating and he couldn't remember anything. And I went up there and I grabbed him and I made him do the same thing. We have a natural fear of speaking in public because we have a fear of rejection. We have a fear of uh, looking a certain way. We have a fear of failure. So it's really trying to get over those things, knowing it's so good for your growth to learn not to take these things personally, to deal with rejection instead of running. Because most of us, that's what we've done in the past is we've run for it, right? So it's a really good opportunity to face those demons. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Definitely. If you're taking notes, that was definitely a lot of notes to take in is uh, make sure you're focusing the present moment, picking one thing and focusing on that. And if uh, Michelle could handle food poisoning and still give presentation, <laughs> so can you. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like, this is the very worst. Okay. That's all right. And I mean, there was no reception in the building. So it wasn't like I could text my husband or anything like that and be like, can you give me encouragement? Like, Nope, you're on your own. So just do it, right? If you're going to fail, fail in like fiery flames, like make it good, right? And chances are that's not going to happen. And that's not what happened with me. But I was willing to have epic failure. I fail. Okay. You know, you'll keep going. Yeah. Then you book another one next next month. Kind of exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and what about, um, so you, you, you got the talk book, you did the talk. Let's say you did a great job. What about with promoing the talks and like some TEDx talks go viral and some TEDx talks get like 10 views. So um, tell us excuse me, about your promo process and how you're able to help pull that off. 
Absolutely. Uh, you are spot on. It takes a couple months for them to edit. So I would give anywhere between three to six months. I know it's a long time. I know it's wow. painful, uh, but it does take time. You do get to have input um, a little bit with the editing process in most cases. And then it just literally comes out on their website. So you're like, okay, what I liked to do is I did posts leading up to it. But even if it already comes out, you can still lead up to it, right? In your emails and stuff and get people excited and then send out those email blasts, those social media posts, getting people really excited. Um, you can take the embed code from YouTube, put it on your website, put it on your press page, et cetera, oh, add it to your speaking reel, whatever you want to do. Uh, so those are a couple things that I did. Uh, mine by far, of course, doesn't have the most views in the world, but it has a healthy amount. Um, and that's just because... I think of utilizing some of those tools. And what's really fun too, is that if you download the video, you can make a GIF out of it, like a little GIF of you speaking like five seconds or something. Oh, and you nice. can use that in like newsletters or whatever. And that's fun too. Yeah. I'm sure it's great for promotional material. And does it, is getting a TEDx talk help you book paid speaking gigs as well? It definitely can for sure. Especially if you, are able to cut together a nice speaking reel from it. I found that that is a huge qualifier. So it really helps because people really enjoy seeing that TEDx logo. So it, it did help you get some paying gigs that same year after your TEDx video came out? Yep. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It really, it did. And it helped with, like I said, lots of summits. I think I booked 20 summits that year. Um, and I booked a lot of podcasts too. It just works really, really well. Oh, that is awesome. And how do you go into that side of things? How do you charge as a speaker post TEDx? Like, how do you know if someone's like, we want to hire you? Like, how do you know what to charge them? You know, it's really a personal decision. Like some people I know are career speakers. And so they charge, you know, two grand to talk or whatever. I have no problem speaking, but I'm not super concerned with whether or not it pays. Of course, travel expenses are nice. Uh, for me, I'm also looking at how many people are in the room. Can I pitch from stage? Uh, what is the promo of that event? What does that look like? Like, it's not just the financial thing for me. It's the other possible financial things and what that can do for me. So like, for example, it didn't pay when I spoke at Startup San Diego, but I knew there were going to be like 500 people in the room. And I knew I was going to be able to offer a freebie. So, you know, even if you only convert 10% of the room to your email list, that's still a good amount. Plus, I have my camera wherever I go. I'm videotaping myself from stage. I'm putting on a mic and recording the audio separately. I'm adding that to my speaking reel, you know, photography, that kind of stuff. So it's really up to you and how advantageous that can be. So I think that setting your rate, that depends. Do you just want travel expenses covered? Sometimes that's more money than whatever you could be paid just for doing the stage. So figuring out and working with the host or the producer, whoever it may be to see what's going to be the best financially for you. Yeah. And I think that's a good reminder for the audience is that the thing about the speaking industry is that even speakers who do charge 20, 50 uh, grand per talk, they still will speak for free at events <laughs> because yep. They always want more exposure. They always want more press. They always want more referrals. Yes, it's good to be paid, but it's also good to get exposure. And like you said, too, it's up to someone's choice. Like someone can refuse. Hey, if you're not paying me, I'm not coming. But mm -hmm. other people can be like, oh, I'm happy to speak and share my message. I know I'm going to get more leads from it. So um, I think that's a good reminder for people who want to get in the speaking industry or who know about it um, so that they can be aware of it. And this, everyone's personal choice kind of thing, too. Um, Absolutely. And it reminds me too, one thing I wanted to ask you is what has been one of your uh, highest ROI activities um, as far as, oh my gosh, when I spoke at this event, um, I immediately got 100 leads. Or when I launched this course, um, mm. I was able to break the internet uh, that day. Um, what is something that looking back on, you're like, oh, that was a pretty good deal that happened from those one or <laughs> few actions, essentially. That's a great question. It's so funny because certain things I've done, I first of all, I never do pay to play ever. So I've never paid for an appearance. That's not something that I personally believe in. But there's certain things I've guessed on where I'm like, this was the benchmark when I first started in the business where I thought, oh, if I could just book this, everything will change. And then I booked that and nothing happened. 
nothing like what at all. Because uh, you were on Entrepreneurs on Fire, right? Uh huh. Did that change anything for you? Nope. That's one of the things I'm referring to. And, you know, I'm super mm-hmm. grateful for the opportunity. I love JLD. I think he's fantastic. But it did not impact my bottom line, which is what I thought it would do. I've heard like wildly successful stories and who knows, maybe it was just not my best interview, but I, what I anticipated just is not what happened. And I think sometimes that happens for people. They think, oh, I booked TEDx. This is going to change the entire trajectory of my business. It may not. Um, We hope for the best, but we don't necessarily, and this is why I say this so much, we don't want to start down the realm of publicity, which I include public speaking podcasts, all that is publicity, until we have our organic leads strategy mastered, because we can never hope or guarantee that a PR appearance is going to change our financial impact. It will hopefully spread our name. That's the goal with publicity, but it's not a guarantee that it'll impact our revenue. You know, you get those emails in your inbox all the time that are like, we can get you an entrepreneur and Forbes and Huffington Post for an easy fee of $1,500. And a lot of people fall for that and they do it and then nothing happens in their business and they like go on this huge downward spiral because they think that was going to be the rescuer. So I don't think that that's usually the case, but monetarily, the best things for me have been virtual summits. You know, whenever I do one, I know that I'm increasing my list. I always, always do. And certain ones have like, you know, 5,000 attendees. And so my list will jump by 500 people. Other ones have 300 people, but they're all so, so excited that I get 200 opt-ins or whatever. I know that summits lead to me making more money. It hasn't been as crystal clear with appearances or with podcasts, but for me, like summits always do it. So that's usually my best moneymaker. Interesting. And that means that you have to be an expert copywriter, I guess, funnel experts um, for that then. So if you're able to get a high conversion rate into your email list, what percentage of that would are you able to convert? So let's say you get 200 people to email list, like how many people will then buy your podcast pitch deck or how many people will enroll into your coaching services? Like how good is Michelle at converting people so they can all say, oh my gosh, I got to hire Michelle. <laughs> totally. So it really depends. Like uh, if it's like my visibility personality quiz, that one is going to have a lower conversion to sale because the sale is the visibility lounge. So that would probably be like 2%. Whereas if they are taking the color quiz, which upsells to the color kit, which is $27, that's going to be much higher. So that's probably around 28 to 25%. But that also doesn't take into account people then living on my list and then buying different things as I advertise them. So, uh, but for me, it always at least gets me something. And usually the people that come to me from summits, because I'm in my strength, I'm teaching, right? Uh, they usually become lifelong fans and they are becoming affiliates or they're joining a program or they're just hanging on my list and referring people to me, which I also love. Yes. Uh, and your funnels are all built through Kajabi, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. And, uh, tell us how you got featured as the main Kajabi person. Cause you got to have that experience too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so great. Uh, I'm one of those annoying people that if I see an opportunity or a ability to have friendship, I just kind of attack, you know, cause like you visited Coeur d'Alene and I was like, we're going to hang out. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I contacted them. It started out with me wanting to do a webinar and uh, that was specifically with Ali at Kajabi, who's wonderful. And I thought at the time I was living in California, why can't I just go down and why can't we record this webinar in person? And they were like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like these poor people, right? They have no clue what they're in for. Uh, so we went down, they offered to stream it, which was great. Um, I still have that video. That's my affiliate funnel now for people that are interested in Kajabi. That was so, so much fun. Uh, and I actually was in the break room and, uh, someone came in and Allie introduced me to them. Well, it turns out they ran the Kajabi blog and they were really interested in color psychology when I started talking about it. So then they were like, do you want to do a, like a featured blog? And I thought, absolutely. I would love to. So we did that. And then they reached out to me and said, Hey, we're opening Kajabi university. Do you want to teach a course on visibility? I was like, 
yeah, I do. So then I was able to go back down and record that. And so I've just kind of been that like annoying fruit fly kind of flying around and being able to just do some fun stuff with the company. You know, I appreciate them. I believe in them. And uh, it's worked out to be some really cool collaborations. Oh my gosh. It's it's amazing collaborations. And one of the things that uh, it does befuddle me, if that's a word, that why is it that people don't realize if you never ask, the answer is always no. <laughs> yep. And I know a lot of people, it goes back to, you know, I love the TED talk on rejection therapy or TEDx talk where he talks about the importance of just asking for things that benefit you where if they say no, it doesn't harm you. Uh, but if they say yes, you're like, oh, that, that, that's sweet. That's awesome. And like one of the examples was he got to ask a cop, hey, can I uh, drive your cop car? And the guy's like, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you never know about things. But how did you learn that skill, the importance of seeking opportunities, asking for things and being OK with putting yourself out there and being that you're better than a fruit fly, Michelle. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bedazzled fruit fly. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yes. You know, I don't know if it's a history of. I had a lot of bullying in middle school. Um, I had a ton of health issues. You know, I don't know if that built a bit of resilience. I don't know if it was maybe from watching my dad going and pitching and hearing no and sometimes yes. I can't say exactly what the moment was, but I remember when I started my business online, I wrote on a post-it, so question mark, literally just so. And every time I'd feel a blockage, this didn't sell this person took my idea because it happens in this industry too. Like we can't lie about that. You know, certain things just didn't work out the way I wanted to. I would always look at that post-it because I wanted to see, okay, is this really going to keep me from acting still? Like, is this going to stop me? Am I just going to give up now and just be like, okay, whatever I give up. And the answer is no, like I'm too stubborn. <laughs> and I think a lot of us, especially that have online businesses, we are incredibly stubborn and that is such a great skill set. And if I could go back in time and not be as reliant on other people's opinions, especially my business peers, if I could have even gone one step above and beyond with what I was asking for, like, you just never know how that's going to impact you. If they could do it, like anyone or their mother could do it, right? So I feel like, why not us? Uh, especially if you're still in that struggle, read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich some really good stories in there. And that was definitely something that I carried around a lot with me the past couple of years. That's, that's good to know too. I know, uh, yeah, there's the fact that that turned into its own training course. I think there's, there's a certified Think and Grow Rich trainer really? and stuff too. I, I didn't even know that. Sure. Uh, I bet you're right. Yeah. I do like being right, but I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh I'm curious too, what are your thoughts on, because going back to like, good to put yourself out there, um, but you also want to know what you're doing so you're not just being in, in a circle. There's a story I read recently about the tale of two fishermen, um, like one fisherman, he wants to go learn how to fish. So he reads a book on, you know, how do you fish? How do you pick the bait? How do you pick the fishing pole? How do you know where to fish? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and by the time he gets to the fishing pond, it's already empty of fish because another guy had taken a stick and tied a, a hot dog to it and just figured out, OK, I guess they don't like hot dog. OK, I'm going to get a longer <laughs> stick. I'm going to go a different part of the lake. What would you say to like how to balance that? Who's more right? Why? Just curious your thoughts on that. You know, I think the hard reality of that is that if you take four people two will do the research, two will go straight to the pond, right? And it's because our personalities are different. So I don't think that there's any one right way. Uh, something where I differ with a lot of people in the industry is so many people say, oh, I have to pre-sell at least this much in order to even make the product. And for me, I might do a couple of posts to see if it's something people want, sure. But I always build the thing because that's my strength. I'm so good at the building part. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It doesn't mean that the other people are wrong. But have I invested in things where people say they're going to deliver something and I pay them money and it just never comes to fruition and I have to fight for my refund? Yes. And that drives me nuts. So I think there's no one right way. But the worst thing that you can do is spend, I guess this, this would be the category three of the fisherman, who's the one running around town asking everyone if they think that he can really fish. 
you know, and that's who we don't want to be is we don't want to be the one running to all of our peers and running to our students and looking for approval and seeking their validation and wanting that help and putting the success of our business in anyone else's hands, but our own. So I would say that that's probably the only thing I would not do. Otherwise, I don't mind doing a little research. You know, I probably would research a little bit about fishing. Then I'd go out there and my husband would just run out there, right? And try anything. And I'd walk out and be like, why are you doing that? That's never going to work. And I'm going to be right. But he's the one that got his butt to the dock first. So who's the best personality? I don't know. We're all different. But yeah, I'd probably be reading the book at least for a few minutes before running out to the dock. Yeah, I really like what you said too. Like, if other people, if you know you have a passion for fishing, you know, you have that intuition that you can do it, but you have to ask other people whether or not it's going to work. I agree. And of course, you still want to get that market feedback to say, oh, well, maybe you can't fish over here, but you can try fishing this way, kind of thing. I also read a book by Joe Vitale. It's called um, Customer Born Every Minute. And mm. it talks about the story of P.T. Barnum. And, you know, he's one of the greatest publicists of all time. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how many biographies you've read about him or um, any of his talks or teachings. But something that blew my mind is him being one of the best, quote unquote, publicists, PR people in the world. He wasn't able to um, sell the fire extinguisher because people weren't ready for it. Like they didn't think it was a real, like it was like a magic trick or something like that. So I, I guess it goes back to, because I, I love the fact that you were able to think outside the box, like, oh, actually, there's a third option. Um, what are your thoughts on being able to, like, push your product until it works to saying, you know what, I, I got to pivot and focus on something else? Like, how do you help decide that? Absolutely. First of all, Greatest Showman is such a good movie. Oh, Loved like it. it. <laughs> Love the soundtrack. I'm just a freak of nature about it. And what was really interesting when that me when that movie came out is that, Hollywood was kind of mixed about it because Barnum wasn't someone necessarily politically they wanted to tie themselves to, uh, which is so interesting. I think in terms of your product and shifting, it's really important. I mean, before anyone was doing live streaming challenges, I had the comfy on camera challenge. So no one else was doing that. And that was really kind of cool because they all came to me, right? I think that there's nothing wrong with being ahead of the game. You just have to make sure to be able to think on your feet and move quickly. And I think that's something that I've suffered with in the past and I don't anymore. It's important to make sure that what you're offering is in alignment with what you have the energy to sell and it's okay to pivot. It's okay to have a really successful group program and then to pivot away from it. Um, And I think a lot of times we get so tied into, well, it's working. Well, it's working and I I don't think I want to detach from this because what if, what if, what if, what if? It's like you have to remember, and entrepreneurs are so bad at this, me included, and it's taken me a long time to learn the lesson. And a lot of times people start with the business and then it's the people and then it's their health. And these are the friends that we all know that after launches end up in the ER for a week. Ultimately, what's most important is that you are in alignment, that you are healthy, that you know, you're know you doing really well in your relationships, and then the business comes into play. But don't be attached necessarily to the outcome and how other people perceive you. I remember something my dad said uh, on an interview is he said, a lot of people think that they have to fight so hard to get to the top of the mountain. But what they don't realize is once they're at the top of the mountain, there's nothing there. So it's really more about the journey than the destination. And that's something that's always echoed in my mind. And I've watched friends that all of a sudden overnight, they have a million dollar launch. That's something they've been working for for 10 years. And then they finally get it. And okay, it's exciting on the day. And then it's like, what do I do now? Right? So I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. Well, and I would uh, challenge that last part too. Like, as far as the mountain thing, I think the beauty of life is there's always going to be another mountain per se. Um, and just like, you know, I know right now Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk right now are in the running for who's who has more money than who kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I also know there's like the quote, like, oh, it's lonely at the top. And then I like there's a counter quote, like, well, not if you bring everyone around you with you up there. <laughs> and so remembering that and that, that is interesting that. Um, I know, uh, yeah, you and your husband, uh, like the joke, like, yeah, it's like crazy how some girl like has really business experience, but she does one live and all of a sudden gets a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. This is interesting point. Just like, I agree. Remembering the journey while going back to what you said, the deliverability of getting to the destination too, but always recognizing too, if you 
only hold your happiness on the destination or on the end goal, then you're going to be miserable most of your life. I, I like how I did want to talk about too your, your your health journey as well, because I know you're a great inspiration to people. The fact that you've had uh, a chronic illness, um, you worked with that. I think you went from having to work probably 80 hours a week to now you get to work on your own schedule. Tell us about yeah that, that whole journey. You want, want to hear about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I had a lot of different immune issues when I was younger, uh, which led to chronic headaches, which started at 12. Um, I still deal with them. I have not stopped the health journey. I have healed a lot of my different issues. Uh, it's just that chronic pain that is still uh, that last holdout. That doesn't mean that I'm not actively fighting to find more healing modalities for that, but it is something that I deal with. And a lot of people, especially in the last couple of years, are getting more vocal about the fact that they are building their business or running their business while dealing with a chronic health issue. So I do think that for a lot of people, that's the reason why they get into online business. Um, I got a really bad bug. And how amazing is it that all I had to do was move a couple of things and then I could rest. I remember being sick on film set and we're working 12 to 14 hours a day. And it's like, you know, I'm throwing up in a trash can outside a set. So it was so wonderful to be able to move into a job where I could set the hours. And that was a huge reason why I started my business. I fell into the trap that a lot of people fall into the first couple of years where, you know, you're working 12 hours a day on that computer. It can be such an emotional maelstrom. And my husband finally came home from work one day and closed my laptop. And he said, enough, enough. Like, I love you, but enough. You have to understand that your life is not your business. And if we're going to be healthy and if we're going to be in a happy marriage, like this has to change now. And that was a huge wake up call for me. I was raised with you do your best and you keep working and you're acknowledged by the amount of work you do, et cetera, et cetera. That's when I made the shift and I went, all right, my business has to work for me, not the other way around. It doesn't mean I can't work hard. It doesn't mean at a launch, I can't, you know, give it my all, but this is just a piece of what I do. And uh, that was a really important distinction. And I think not only my physical health, but my mental health really needed that. And that's why I'm so passionate about people doing that. And one of the first things I recommend they do, if they don't necessarily have the time quota yet, is to give. Even if it's just a dollar, if you're not making money in your business yet, find a cause you're passionate about that's actually going to positively impact the world and give. Because even just that energetic exchange can make such a big difference. What is the? What are some organizations or groups that you give to that you that you endorse? Yeah. Sure. I love giving the Samaritan's Purse. Um, they're an organization I'm really passionate about. They do something every year called Operation Christmas Child, and that is so that every kid, no matter where they are in the world, gets a present on Christmas. Um, so that's really fun. I pack shoe boxes every year for that. And then they also are the first ones on the scene after a disaster. So like they were the first organization that landed in Ukraine and was giving uh, aid to people that were struggling. They were the first ones, you know, that went to New York in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So whenever there's a flood or an earthquake or a hurricane, like their planes are there. And so they are people that I'm really passionate about supporting. So, I mean, yeah, I know that that's, that's a hard to comprehend concept for a lot of people. Like, what do you mean I have to go? I can go from working 40 hours a week to only 20 hours and still making just as much, if not more. Like, uh, tell us more about what that process looks like. Did you have to double your prices? Did you just narrow down on one of your best programs? Like, what was the time frame for that shift? Curious about that. That's what's interesting is that, you know, your path is going to be different than other people you know. And sometimes you can put all of your blood, sweat, and tears into a specific funnel to a specific a specific offer because that's what you want, but that's not necessarily what's going to sell. Uh, so some of my most successful funnels have actually been the low cost offers. You know, the podcast pitch kit, the podcast weekly, to the visibility lounge. It just really depends. I found that a lot of people that come to me are really starting out in their visibility, and so their budget isn't that high, but they stick with me because they can start at a smaller price point and then scale up to the higher things as they earn more. People that are feeling really stuck in their finances with their own offers, I recommend them growing their affiliate funnels. Because if you feel like, I really, really, really need a social media manager, I know that's going to make a big difference for me, but I can't afford $800 a month, let's say. 
Well, if you look at some of the tools that you use or some of the products you've taken, someone's course, someone's templates, whatever, and you start putting that into your social media feed, that might start increasing your monthly allowance in order to afford a social media manager to then, you know, here we go. So that's something that I really recommend doing. That's something I did early on. And that is what paid for my VA, my ads, everything was my affiliate funnel. So there's no one right way to do it, but you have to be flexible and be willing to try different things in order to impact that bottom line. Oh, that is interesting and a good reminder of things that if you quote unquote can't sell your own offer, there are offers that are easy to sell. You can get paid for those, <laughs> those two essentially. Well, that's what they do. They're just affiliates. They have. They don't have to worry about deliverability. They don't have to worry about anything. They just need to have an email list. Like, how cool is that? Yes. Um, and, and just like curiosity, is that currently like twenty percent of your business income, or like uh, uh, what what percentage is that working for you at the moment? Yeah. Wow. But it's great. It pays for my Pinterest manager, my social media manager, and my car lease. All of that is just from affiliate income, which is amazing. And and what is your personal favorite offer you, you like to do for people? Like, is it still color psychology or is it helping them with visibility? Like what if someone were to say, Michelle, I want you to teach me whatever you want to teach me. Like, what is like, well, I mean, if you have the budget, here's what I would teach you kind of thing. <laughs> you know, probably what brings me the most joy is color. I was on some calls with a friend the other day who is so, so successful. He's a Facebook ads manager. He's crazy successful but he's starting a new business venture with a couple of friends. And so it was really interesting to be able to be on that call because, you know, these people are brilliant. They make millions of dollars. They're starting this new business. They want to start it right. They know a huge amount of that has to do with the branding. And so they're talking to me about the color psychology strategy. And that's so fun, right? Because it's like, okay, we're between these two colors. Okay. This would mean this, this would mean that to help them with that decision. And that just brings me a lot of joy because the fact that we're impacted so much by color is just the coolest thing in the world to me. So it's something that I could talk endlessly about. Yes. And uh, I just thought of that you see, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the, the pink lady in California. Have you heard of yeah. her yet? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen her driving around. <laughs> oh, you see her driving around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So are you going to be the uh, the blue lady next? <laughs> Being the blue lady, which is cool with me, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know that uh, dyeing your hair blue would probably signify something else than wearing blue, but I wish you could pull it off. Like there's those entrepreneurs out there that can do like wacky colors with their hair, and it's so great. I'm just not that cool. Like let's just be honest. And now I'm living in northern Idaho. Like I think that would be weird, right? That's I'd true. probably, <laughs> you know, be shot or something. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Well, I know as we uh, wrap up here, I want to ask a few more questions. Um, I know you're definitely the tools and resources lady as well. So tell us some of your favorite uh, tools and resources that you like to use that you recommend that people can uh, use to make their life easier or have life or business hacks with. I definitely like Kajabi. I know some people like ClickFunnels. They're very similar, uh, but I really enjoy Kajabi. Um, I recently got something called Shift for my desktop. And what's really cool about it is that it's like my one hub that connects all my emails in like one little portal. And then it also has like my Google Calendar, Docs, Sheets, Voxer, Slack, like everything is in this one app. And I really love that. So if you want a video walkthrough of that, just go to my website forward slash tools. It'll give you that breakdown. I love that one. Uh, Buzzsprout for podcasts. I've tried everything out there. They're the best. Let's see what else I use. Social B for my social media posting. I use uh, Movie Studio Platinum to edit my videos. I'm a PC user. We've all heard about community management. A lot of people are talking about Circle right yeah. now. I'm looking into one called Heartbeat that I found on AppSumo. So that might be my next venture because I would love to have it where like you can go to my homepage and then it says community and it's like a widget that has my online community. So that's what I've been looking for for years. And we'll see if heart beats the answer. I'll keep it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and do you, are you still actively podcasting as well? Yes. Um, I think I heard uh, supporting cast can help with things. Oh, do you have any um, subscriptions as well to your, your podcast or your, any of your content you create? 
like a paid subscription or just like normal subscription? Yeah. Do, do you have any like paid subscribers? Anything like that? Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. I think supporting cast might be able to help with that side of things, but yeah, I still haven't checked out Circle, but I enrolled in a program called 30 Podcasts in 30 Days, and uh, we are using something called Luma, L-U-M-A, uh, if you want to check that out. But uh, I know AppSumo does have a good job coming up with cool tools, that, that's for sure. <laughs> AppSumo. I have the pitch kit, the podcast pitch kit, and the color kit there. So I get a payout every month from people that buy from there, which is cool. Um, so yeah, and I don't know about you, but I'm always someone that's like, can I find a tool that I can pay a lifetime deal for? So it's not, you know, I'm not being billed monthly. So I just tend to be nerdy like that. So I'm a little <laughs> deal hunter, you know? No, yes. No, it, uh, speaking of deal hunting, yeah, I went to grocery shopping with, uh, my dad yesterday and there's, there's Did you cry? Huh? Did you cry at all the inflation? <laughs> because <laughs> you know, i think this is a top trend on social media where you videotape your, your your dad and your father doing certain things like whether they come to your house and inspect it or how they act at grocery stores and it was definitely funny like he spent probably eight minutes uh figuring out how he could save a dollar on yogurt that we were going to get <laughs> just like <laughs> before i came on this interview my father texted me and said hey do you want me to be in the background of your interview in a moose helmet so like that's what I'm dealing with. And I'm like I don't <laughs> understand, but maybe another day. Another like, oh, day. Maybe a visit. To, I could have. I can put on the full moose suit. I'm like oh, fine, and we'll get a bow and arrow and shoot you right in the butt, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, your dad sounds like a character. That, that's that's for sure. a huge character. Aren't all parents? <laughs> it's just like. Oh, I do love the uh, progressive commercials that uh, they have nowadays too. Right. <laughs> my husband lo loves those my husband is inside he's an old man so he loves those commercials he like comes running from the house whenever they're on or his favorite thing like you don't show this much excitement for outlander but the progressive commercial of course <laughs> no it's it's a big deal it, it's a very big deal um but yeah so with that said um yeah, this has been incredible michelle i really appreciate you coming on um how can people get a hold of you and contact you if they want to learn more I've had a blast. Andrew, you know, I support everything you do. I think you're one of those authentic, kind people in this business. Thank and uh, I'm excited for this show. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Uh, if you're interested in my world, it's visibilityvixen.com and visibilityvixen, any social media channel. What I would love is that if you love this episode, do a little screenshot, share it on something like Instagram stories, tag us both in it. That not only, not only gives visibility to Andrew's amazing show, but helps us know what part of the episode resonated with you. So do that if you can. And I would love to hear what part you liked the most. And if it's the most, like, that's fine. You talk about the most. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People remember the first thing and the last thing the most. So good job talking about the moose. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and as we close up, last question is if if you wanted people to have just one takeaway from this interview, and I know you dropped so many gold nuggets and amazing advice, but what would be the one takeaway you want them to understand about either color psychology or, or business skills or just the one thing that you want them to be aware of and know? I saw this quote the other day and it was a fly and it was a honeybee. And it said, a honeybee is attracted to honey. A fly is attracted to poop. So it would be like a honeybee trying to explain to the fly why honey is so much better. So in a weird way, what I want to leave you with is stay in your lane, stay in your zone. And if you have people that cannot see your brilliance, that cannot recognize your heart or who you are, just keep moving. Don't spend time talking to the flies, let them have their own. And then you go on forward to the honey because you deserve, if you are in this business, you have a unique calling, you have something very unique on your heart. And that's not necessarily something that people will recognize now, but eventually they will. But just stay on your train, stay in your lane, keep moving forward. I love that. All right. That's a great way to end. Thank you again. And uh, Michelle Lewis, everyone, make sure to give her a shout out and follow her. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.